0: Well, we are going to turn uh, back to our passage uh, for this morning in just a moment. Uh, Psalm 47, if you've got a, a Bible with you. Um, as you turn back there, um, though, I want to ask a question. A question about the new year uh, that we're now gradually settling on, uh, into and cracking on with. I wonder if this year, the year 2023, will be a year of rejoicing for you. Will the year ahead be a year of rejoicing for you? Now I ask that question knowing that as we said, if you were with us last week, the reality is we don't and can't know the ins and outs of the year ahead for all of us, can we? We can't know if what happens around us will leave us rejoicing or actually maybe leave us grieving so given that, why am I asking that question as we start this morning? Will the year ahead be full of rejoicing for you? Well, I ask it not, not to try to, to get you somehow to, to magically predict and guess what this year exactly will look like for you, to predict whether you'll finally get that promotion Whether you'll get married this year, whether you'll be fully healthy this year, whether you'll have a baby, whether you'll find a hobby that you really love, whether you'll make great friends, whether you'll have a great holiday or two this year. Now I ask that question as we begin this morning because I think the truth is whatever happens to us this year, whether it be full of good things or harder things, we can make this year a year full of rejoicing for us, a year full of rejoicing in the unchanging God, who this year is just as much king over all the earth as he has been since its creation. That's, I think, the call that we're going to see here in Psalm 47, if you have it open with you to make this year, to make our lives as a whole, ones that regularly, repeatedly look to God and rejoice in Him and all that He's done for us. We hear this kind of language in the New Testament, don't we? Paul writing to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And I think this psalm is an Old Testament equivalent of that same kind of command. Look at verses 1 and 2. Read them with me. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Resounding, abundant joy. And then jump down with me to verses 6 and 7 halfway through sing praises to god sing praises sing praises to our king sing praises for god is the king of all the earth sing praises with a psalm it is it is pretty resounding isn't it the call to make a joyful noise to the lord to sing his praises to rejoice in him As we hear these words this morning, we need to hear them coming to us. Do you see? Verse 1, these are words for all peoples. So as we hear these words, here's what I think the psalmist is saying to us this morning. People of Great Vic, rejoice in God. Rejoice in God. He is the great king. Sing praises to him who is king over all the earth. That's the call that we need to hear this morning for us. And it's a pretty challenging one, isn't it, when we stop to think about it. Even if we are Christians here this morning and know something of who God is and and his goodness to us, is rejoicing in God something that really, truly is found regularly in your life? If someone was right here and now to stop and start taking note of all that you say and do in the week ahead, would it be a week when they notice a pattern, a pattern that you rejoice in God? Is that a common thread in your life? That's been a pretty challenging question for me as I've been thinking about it this week. And it's one I think that we all need to be asking ourselves as we head on now into the new year. Because here it is plain as anything in God's word, a call to sing and shout, a call to cry out with joy to our God. Now, as we hear this, we do, I think, and need to say again, this joy has been called for here isn't rooted in the ever-changing uncertainties around us in life, but instead this is a call to be joyful in God. If you look closely uh, in this psalm, God is the focus of every single verse here. It's all about him. The psalmist is helping us to lift our heads, to lift our eyes, to see our God and to see that in him, in this awesome, unchanging God who is to be feared, we can have a deep, settled, unshakable joy this year. Just look with me at the reason there he gives in verse two for this rejoicing that he's calling us to, for shouting to God, because he today is a great King over all the earth. See, in verse 1, in this call for all peoples to rejoice, the psalmist is saying, listen, you may look to all kinds of other things, in particular, at this point, all kinds of other kings. You may look to them to rejoice in them, but let me tell you, they will all fall. There will only be one true king to rejoice in, in the end, I think, in fact, the language of verse 2 is pushing us to make that very same comparison between God as king and any other king that we might look to and rejoice in. See, if you were with us last week, uh, we said in uh, Psalm 46 that that was a psalm, uh, as it called us to make God our refuge, it was a psalm that perhaps was reflecting uh, on the deliverance of Jerusalem from the hands of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And some commentators then believe, they're put together here in, in the Bible for us, that Psalm 47 was probably written in the same time. God going up in a shout, if you see in verse 5 there, well, that's like that deliverance as God goes out and strikes down the Assyrian soldiers. And I mention this because listen to how Sennacherib is described in that account by one of his officers. His officer approaches Jerusalem, and this is what he declares to the people of Jerusalem. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. That is Sennacherib's self-proclaimed title, the great king. But here in verse 2, the psalmist says, that's a nonsense. Listen. Listen. There really is only one great king, and that is the Lord's. All other kings, all other kingdoms will fall, just like the Lord has done for Sennacherib, who returned home with shame on his face. But God's reign, God's kingdom will last forever. He is the king of the earth, as the psalmist says in verse 7. And so if that's the case, the psalm is saying, don't set your hope, your joy in anyone or anything else other than this, God. Instead, rightly fear God. Recognize his might and his power and shout to him with loud songs of joy. Now already I think we're seeing clearly here a great reason, aren't we? To sing praise to God, to rejoice in him because he is this great king over all the earth there is no other like him and no matter what changes in the world around us no matter what the earthly king or ruler is that we who we live under god is that same unchanging unshifting ruler over them all and that's great reason for us to praise this morning to praise knowing that that is true But then in verses 3 to 5, we begin to see, I think, this reason to rejoice in God as great king over all the earth unpacked. We see that unpacked even further for us because we then see all that this mighty king, our God, has done. Let's look at these verses one by one with me, and we're going to see here three specific reasons then to rejoice, to rejoice in God, the great king. First of all, verse 3. The psalmist calls us to rejoice in God because he has conquered his people's enemies. Read verse 3 with me. It says, he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. As God's people came to the promised land that they were going to inherit, the situation wasn't looking good. Some spies were sent out from among the Israelites into the land, and they returned with this report. We read about it in Numbers chapter 13. This is what they say. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. By all accounts, these peoples, these nations that God's people were going to come up against as they entered into the promised land, they were bigger they were stronger. They were better equipped, better trained than God's people. That was the situation. The matchup here, if you're if you're a football fan, is a bit like that FA Cup third round tie, right? The, the the plucky non-league side who 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 have all their other jobs that they do alongside playing football. Well, they come up against a uh, Manchester City, a Manchester United, an Arsenal. Forgive me if your team you think should have been in that list. I didn't name my own either, if that makes it any better. Um, the point is, is this though. This is the matchup. There is little hope, surely, for God's people as they come up against these stronger enemy. But look who's on the Israelite side. Who ultimately, who is it that ultimately goes with them as they enter into the land? Verse 2: the Lord the Most High, the Great King over all the earth. And so as God's people enter in, he, the Lord, the King, time and time again delivers his people, doesn't he? Delivers his people and conquers the enemy. Listen to how the victory is summarized in Joshua chapter 21, verse 44. Not one of all God's people's enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Given this, it's no wonder the psalmist is saying, clap your hands, rejoice, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Look at what God does for his people. He conquers all of their enemies. What other king out there is there who can do that? And then verse four, the psalmist continues, doesn't he? Calling us to then rejoice in God the king because as a result of all of these victories, he has now given his people an inheritance. Verse four, he chose our heritage. That's the same word, inheritance for us. The pride of Jacob whom he loves. This is the inheritance that God has given his people. The land, the land that they have now entered into as their enemies have been subdued and conquered. That's what the pride of Jacob, I think, is also they're referring to. And at the time of writing this psalm, the likelihood is that God's people were in this land, able to enjoy something of the goodness of it. After all, this land was described earlier by those same spies that we heard from as a land flowing with milk and honey. God, as the great king over all the earth, was able not just to deliver his enemies into his people's hands, but he was then also able to choose for them, choose for them a good, flourishing place for them to go and settle and to enjoy. For a while, before his people continued to turn their backs on him, uh, failing to live up to their end of the covenant, we read that the Lord gives them rest. Gives them rest on every side. This is what God, the great king, can do for his people. Give them an inheritance to enjoy. Give them rest. So again, no wonder the psalmist here is resounding in his call to praise God. Praise him with a psalm. And then, verse 5, a third specific reason we see here to rejoice in God as king over all the earth. And that's because he has delivered his people and is reigning on high. Read verse 5 with me. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. As we already said, some commentators believe this is a reference to, to God's deliverance of his people, his victory over Sennacherib and the mighty Assyrian army, and there certainly seems to be some kind of strong connection there between this psalm and, and Psalm 46 that makes that link. But many commentators also see in this verse a link back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 15. And we read in that verse, 2 Samuel 6, 15, of David and the people. And what they're doing is they're bringing up, do you see the language there? They're bringing up the Ark of the Lord into Jerusalem. And we read that they do that shouting. And they do that with the sound of the horn, the trumpet that we've just read about. And I think this bringing up of the Ark, figuratively, it proclaims something. Proclaims something loud and clear. It says, God is now reigning. God is now reigning. He is reigning in Jerusalem. And you know what? His reign will then go out from there over all of the earth. God has gone up with a shout. He is reigning. Whatever the specific reference here in this psalm, the message I think is the same. God reigns over all things. He delivers his people. Even the greatest earthly kings will fall because he is the mighty God, the most high, the one to be feared. That image of God reigning, I think, is picked up again in verse 8. If you look with me, the psalmist writes there, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. This is who God is. He has gone up. He is sitting on his holy throne and that word holy doesn't that give us even more reason for us to sit here this morning and rejoice because as we see this God who is reigning over everything he is not like so many of those other earthly kings or rulers he is a holy God he is a good God he is someone who we can run to and trust in So this is what the psalmist proclaims in these verses that we've seen so far, that God is the great king over all the earth, proving himself to be that through history and proving himself to be one for his people to praise because he has been so good to them. But do you see that uh, that for the psalmist, all of this isn't just reason for God's people to praise. It's actually reason for people everywhere to praise. Look at verse one again. Verse one, clap your hands, a shout to God with loud song of joy, all peoples. And I think verses six and seven where it calls us to sing praises to God, again, it's directed to the same people. This is to all peoples. And I guess we have to ask ourselves, why would the psalmist write this? Surely, in some ways, all that he's just been talking about, well, surely that's actually should be bad news. Bad news for all the other people in the world around. After all, we've just read, haven't we, he's subdued those peoples, those enemies under his feet. But, but here's the thing, the beauty that we see in this psalm, I think, Because we see here, in some ways, an invitation for all peoples everywhere to join with God's people, to join with God's people in recognizing, well, if this is who God is, I too should be praising him. I should be rejoicing in him. Because if they would do that, if this call was heard and was responded to, well, those same incredible benefits that we've just been thinking about together, well, they can be enjoyed by those people too. See, while there's often judgment proclaimed in the Old Testament on the peoples, the nations around, there's also, I think, a clear thread that runs right the way through the Old Testament of God welcoming in those from outside his people who do recognize who he is, who do rightly fear him, put their trust in him. Just, just think of Jethro, Moses' Midianite father-in-law. Think of, uh, of Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute who took in the spies and was welcomed in. Think of the inhabitants of Gibeon, who become a part of God's people. And of course, think of the story of Ruth, the Moabite, All of these people in their own way, they come to know and recognize who the Lord is. And then they come into God's people and they enjoy those same blessings that we've just been talking about together. So in this way, I think it would be fair to to say that this psalm is in many ways a missional psalm. A missional psalm, because it isn't just a call for God's people to rejoice in God, but for people everywhere, right to the ends of the earth, to do the same, to sing his praises. And if they will, the amazing truth is that they too can know him. They can know this great king over all the earth as their king, which is what the Israelites knew at the time. Look at uh, how verse 9 pictures this for us. We're given this image here. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. Isn't that an incredible image? And as we see that image, I think, doesn't that point forward to what we ourselves are doing this very moment? Right now. This is princes and peoples, peoples from those princes that they rule over. Peoples from every tribe, every tongue, every nation coming and rejoicing in God together. Here in this room, we have people from right around the world, don't we? Doing that same thing. People from North America. People from South America. People from right across Europe. People from Asia. People from all over the world sitting here together, gathering and rejoicing as the people of the God of Abraham. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? As we all lift our voices together in praise of our God. And of course, this was always God's plan, wasn't it? We, we hear of his plan to bless all of the peoples of the world right back in Genesis chapter 12, when he, he said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. As we mentioned, we we already see little, almost uh, imagine those little grayed out, black and white images and stories in the Old Testament of how this is true, as people are welcomed in to God's people from the nations around. But it's on the arrival of Jesus, isn't it? The arrival of Jesus that we see this promise explode explode into vibrant color, explode right out to the ends of the earth. See, Christ's coming. Christ the King's coming 2,000 years ago changes everything, doesn't it? As the promised descendant of Abraham, by whom all these nations will be blessed, as the promised King who will sit on David's throne forever, it is now those who come to Jesus who put their faith in him who are Abraham's true children and who today can rejoice. Using verses 3 to 5 again, I just want us to think again now of how we this morning can do that, how we this morning can rejoice in Christ the King because of who he is and what he's done for us. Let's pick up first on verse 3. Think with me of how Christ has conquered our greatest enemies of the devil and of death. What's the devil's greatest line of attack as he sees us here this morning? Well, it's to show us our sin. He can time and time again do that. Show us sin that would condemn us. And yet, if we are trusting in Christ the King this morning... He has paid for that sin. As we often sing, here's the hope that we rejoice in together this morning. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look to Christ the King and see him there who put an end to all my sin. When Christ the King came into the world. He wasn't enthroned on a royal, majestic, golden throne, but he was enthroned on a cruel, barbaric, wooden cross. But as he hung there, as he died, God's wrath for our sin was poured out on him instead of us. Here's what Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 9 says about this. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? And that all means that our enemy, the devil, he can accuse us or he can try to, but he has been silenced. He has been silenced by Christ the King. And of course, sitting here this morning, we can also know that Christ the King has conquered that other great final enemy, the enemy of death. Because not only did he die in our place, but he rose again. He rose again. And that rising shows that death has once and for all been defeated. And as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that makes it clear that we also if we are in, Christ will rise. Death will not be the end. Given all of that, today, today, as we sit here this morning as God's people, children of Abraham, doesn't that give us great reason to jo- rejoice, to sing praise to our God, to Christ? But of course, that isn't all. Picking up now on verse four, think with me of how Christ, the King, has also promised to us a glorious inheritance. With our sin paid for, our death defeated, we now have this incredible future hope. Just listen to these words from one Peter, chapter three, verse, uh, chapter one, verses three to five. And as we read them, notice the sound of praise at the start. The sound of praise as we think about this inheritance. Here's what is written. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, for you this morning if you're trusting in Christ, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There aren't many more hope-filled words than those, are there? They would be great ones to think on and dwell on this year. If we today are trusting in Christ the King, this is our sure and certain hope for our future. This is what is promised to us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. How much greater is that when we compare it to the promise that the Old Testament Israelites have received of that land that was perishable, that land that was defiled, that land that would ultimately one day fade? And it would only be enjoyed for a small period of time. As we go on into this year, and as things don't always go to plan, don't forget this truth. Let it turn you to praise. You have a glorious future inheritance that can never be taken from you. That's your future. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, for us as Christians, there are far better things ahead than any we leave behind. The fleeting pleasures of this life, they're going to fade into insignificance when we see and taste the pleasure, the joy of being with our holy God forever and rest, rest eternally in his unchanging and abounding goodness to his people. That is our future. And here then, if we pick up on verse five, uh, uh, is a final glorious truth that should lead us to praise, to rejoicing here this morning, uh, that right this very moment, Christ the King sits enthroned on high, ruling over all things. Verse five, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of, of a trumpet. Isn't this exactly what happened when after Christ's resurrection, he then ascended? He went up to heaven to rule and reign at his father's right hand. Christ has gone up with a shout, declaring victory over his enemies with the sound of a trumpet. And that means that right now, everything, is subject to him. Christ is this very moment. And as we head on into the year ahead, as verse eight puts it, reigning, reigning over the nations, sitting on his holy throne. Because he is, as this psalm says, the king, the true king of all the earth. Don't we just see Jesus Christ ringing out so clearly in this psalm? as it calls people to to rejoice in God the King. We know that today we have so much reason to do that because of Christ the King and all that he's done. We can rejoice because he has paid for our sin. We can rejoice because he has defeated death. We can rejoice because he has won for us a glorious inheritance. And we can rejoice because we know that right now he is seated on his holy throne with all things subject to him. Will the year ahead be full of rejoicing for you? Well, I hope and pray that as we've seen this psalm, as we've been reminded of the truths in there, as we've been taught them, that will mean that your answer to that question this year can be a resounding yes. Yes. My year ahead can be full of rejoicing. So, if you're trusting in Jesus this year, none of these incredible, joy-inspiring truths, well, none of them can be taken from you. They're unshakable, unchanging truths that you can rejoice in every single day, no matter what comes your way. So as we come towards a close, let me then just draw out three Specific applications for us to take away and think about. Firstly, you might be here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. We are delighted you're here. And if that is you this morning, let me just say this. All of these incredible truths, all that we've been thinking about this morning, these reasons to rejoice, well, they can be truly yours this year. And all that will mean is this year, as you recognize that Christ is the king, you also make him your king. You open your life to him. You confess your sin. You come to him and let him reign in your life. And these glorious truths will be true for you. Christianity is not some dull, lifeless religion where we tick boxes and try and make ourselves feel good. No. It is a religion where where the Holy Spirit will come and breathe life into us, breathe wind into our sails as we go on from here rejoicing, rejoicing because Christ is above it all, and he holds his people in his hands. Secondly, then, if you are a Christian here this morning, don't let what we've heard and seen here pass you by. Hear the psalmist's call to sing praises to God, to shout to him with loud songs of joy, and get thinking, even on your way back home or talking to someone afterwards, how can you do that more this year? Maybe it'll mean each day, before launching into your, your list, which is a good thing to bring before the Lord, of your day ahead, maybe just stopping and thinking, I'm going to stop and dwell on two things. Two things today that I can rejoice in, that I can know are unchangingly true for me. I'm forgiven, death defeated, I have a glorious future. And, and then give those reasons for you to turn to praise and rejoicing in your God. Maybe it will mean in the spirit of this psalm, it clearly here is calling us to sing. To sing songs. Songs that capture perhaps these truths that we've just been talking about. How can you sing more this year? Sing in your car, on your way to work, whether you're doing your jobs around the house, in the shower, wherever it is. Sing. Sing praises to God. We have so many reasons to rejoice. Of course, it's going to look different for each of us, isn't it, to responding to something like this, but let me encourage you, make 2023 a year when you purposefully Praise the Lord and daily rejoice in him because of who he is and what he's done for you. And thirdly then, let's also, I think, in the spirit of the psalm, hear this, hear this missional spirit here. And let's encourage us to be those people who go out there and not only declare praises privately to our God, but equally declare God's praiseworthiness to the world around us that's what the psalmist is doing here, isn't it? As he himself sees God's praiseworthiness, as he rejoices in that, he, he, he's basically calling people, isn't he? To come and join him. Come and join me. Look at God. Look at what he has done. Who's God put around you that you could speak to Evangelistically speaking, I think sharing something of the joy and hope that we personally have because of Christ, it's a really good way of talking to people about our faith in a non-threatening way, as we share some of these truths, perhaps. Maybe that's, maybe that's a good place to start, this psalm itself. Tomorrow, as you go, go about your day, wherever that is, perhaps you'll get talking about the weekend. Could you be brave? Could you say, yeah, yeah, yesterday I, I went to church. And do you know what? We were thinking about all of the reasons there are to sing praise to God, to rejoice in him. Maybe, maybe you'll get a funny look and they'll quickly move the conversation on. But it may just open up opportunities as they hear that for you to share more about the reasons why. You personally are rejoicing tomorrow morning. Remember how this psalm ended with the princes of the peoples gathering as the people of the God of Abraham. And doesn't that image point us further ahead too? We see something of it now, but we will see it in all its glory in the future when a great multitude From every tribe, every people, every language will stand before the throne, before the Lamb. And do you know what we're going to be doing then? We're going to be crying out with a loud voice, praising our God, praising our Savior. Wouldn't we love our family, our work colleagues, our neighbors, our friends to be a part of that great multitude on that final day? Let's get out there and talk to them about our great God, our great King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your words. Lord, we thank you for this moment this morning for us to stop in amongst the busyness of our lives, amongst all the other things that are going on in the world around us, to stop and to lift our eyes to you. Lord, we thank you for how we've been reminded of who you are, that you are the great king over all the earth. And Lord, we thank you that this very moment we also see Christ the king, enthroned on high. Lord, we come again to him, and Lord, we thank you for all that we find in him, these blessings, these reasons to rejoice that we've been thinking about this morning. Help us to fix our eyes on those things this year. Help us to keep coming back to all that you have done for us and to daily be rejoicing in them and then help us to speak. Help us to be bold, to tell others, this is our God. And we have great reason to rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to respond by... uh, by uh, singing a song that I think will pick up on a lot of what we've just been thinking about this is come people of the risen king and it's a pretty resounding call for all of us here wherever we're from to come together and lift our voices to our God and rejoice so let's stand and do that as the musicians begin to play from every land men and women of the faith come those with full or empty hands find the riches of his grace lord we rejoice in your abounding grace that we enjoy this morning lord please strengthen us and help us to go out from here and to sing your praises and to daily rejoice in you in jesus name amen